you at the cross was enough. I pray that we'd put our faith in that, our hope in that, our trust in that. Um, I pray you'd speak through Michael, you'd speak through your word, and into our hearts, God. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. And that probably should be a question we ask ourselves on a regular basis. Is the cross enough? Or are we looking for something else? Do we feel like we need something else? Is the cross enough? Um, We're in the middle of a series on the life of Joseph. Linda's got some bulletins if you need one. There's some announcements in there you should look at and read. We are in the end of chapter 46. We'll begin in verse 31 in just a moment. But if you need a bulletin, ask Linda and she will be happy to give you one. A uh, couple of things, I'm not sure it's in the bulletin or not. There is a, an update on uh, the Harwoods ministry in Graham County that's on the bulletin board right out here. You can look at that if you need one. And uh, I'll send a copy of that out later this week on Thursday. So if you need to look at it there, you can. You'll have a copy on your computer. I think that was it. Are there any other announcements, Tim? Yeah, I just want to let everybody know that was involved or interested in the uh, at-risk children's and family ministry. Uh, we've got some sheets. We'll have some sheets on the table out here. We, you know, we met with DSS and came up with a whole bunch of stuff that we could do for both uh, the foster kids themselves, for at-risk families, tutor. I mean, there's just a ton of things. So it's all on a couple of sheets there. And there's a place on the back where you can put your name. And put those areas that you're interested in, you just put 1B, 3A, or whatever. Uh, that way we can get an idea of what, who we have interested in each area, so then we can come back and decide where we should focus as a body. Uh, we don't want to do too many things and do them poorly, but there is a lot of need, and there's some cool things that we can do right away. Um, so we're ready to make the move. So if you could take a look at those sheets, get your name on them, I'd really appreciate it. That way we can um, you know, schedule another meeting and tell ESS and Cherokee and Clay Counties um, this is what our body is willing to do and we're ready to go. Okay, so. good. Uh, yeah, afterwards look at that. And if someone will remember, because see, I'm, here's what I'm really bad at, is you made that announcement, so I'm going to go look at that, and then 30 minutes are going to go by, and whew, it's going to be gone. So somebody, when we finish in here at the end of this hour, Right before it's dismissed, someone raise your hand and say, remind me, we'll remind you to look at that. Because if you're like me, in 30 minutes, you might not remember. And I'll, I'll put those out on that table outside. So the table outside uh, when you walk in. That'd be great. Thanks, Tim. Appreciate that. And Bo. Sarah Gray is officially over the mark. Thank Good. you all. She is geared up and ready. I think they've got the plane tickets and teams getting together. And she, she's pumped. Very Good. Got to get her through exams, but she's pumped. Yeah, and there's lots of folks uh, in this body as well as people that are off in college that are taking exams coming up fairly quickly, whether that's uh, high school or college or beyond that. So uh, be in prayer for one another. Again, as you go through your pictorial directory and are praying for each other, did you come across the names of those kids in high school and those that are off in college, if you would pray for them that uh, they would persevere and that they would honor Christ as they study. You have one more. I do. I'm sorry. That's fine. I'm sorry. That's good. So Carissa found out Friday 
that she has been invited to participate in a 10-week-long study in Portugal. And she's not sure. Some of the team actually are flying out Thursday. She just found out Friday, so she really wants to go, thinks it would be good for a number of reasons. But um, what's that? And Rwanda is part of Portugal trip? We don't know. We don't know what Chris is doing either. <laughs> oh, yeah. She, oh, that's right. There you go. That's right. So teaching something in Rwanda for a short time, 10 weeks in Portugal. Uh, and it really depends. Huh? Two weeks? I don't know. I think Priscilla knows more than you do about it. I defer. I defer. Okay. Oh, Priscilla has to talk louder because I can't even hear it. All right, Priscilla. She's there for on whether she should go at all, and if she goes, can she do Portugal and Rwanda? Because Rwanda, I think, would be the same time as Okay, so she's got options. She can stay in the states. She can go to Portugal. She can go to Portugal and Rwanda. Yeah. So, basically, wisdom and, and guidance that how and and really seriously, however, that number one should be content with that decision, and that God would use her wherever she is. And that's ultimately our goal: is that we we often make decisions and we we go, oh, but what am I giving up? What am I what am I not doing? But our prayer should always be, God, where I am, how can you use me? How can I be beneficial for your kingdom? So we, we pray that, that she would have no regrets, the decisions she makes, and that God would use her in a great way. Amen. So, anything else this morning? It's good to be with you. You know, what's interesting is, is they may bother you, but your kids never bother me. You know what really is distracting is that. That's going to drive me crazy this morning. The rain. Right? It's those little weird things. Kids don't bother me. The rain on the ceiling, so if I get lost, you know why. That's what it is. Genesis chapter 46 is where we'll be, beginning in 31, and we'll read all the way through 12 in just a moment. Um, you're probably well aware of this, but I want to remind you anyway. Um, the most dangerous place that you can be is the place where you don't know what the danger is. Right? I mean... Danger can be dangerous regardless. I mean, if the lion is charging you, that's dangerous, but at least you know, right? You're aware, and if you've got some sort of weapon, you can fight back. Maybe not for long, but at least you have a, a chance. It's when the danger sneaks up behind you. It's when the danger is subtle. It's when we're not aware of what's going on. It's when we're most vulnerable to the danger that's around us. See, Jacob and his family, they didn't know the real danger. They thought they did. They thought the real danger was the famine. They thought that was what, if anything was going to get them, that's what it was going to be. They would starve to death. So they made plans. They, and, and Joseph allowed them. And they, they looked at the famine head on and said, go to Egypt, buy grain. And Jacob, even though he didn't want to, sent Benjamin the second time. Even though he was fearful of that, he knew that, well, I've got to persevere. I've got to get my family to live. I need food. But that wasn't the real danger. See, the famine could harm them physically. It could actually take their life. 
But the real danger was what was all around them that they weren't aware about that could harm their relationship with God. So that was the danger. Right, you can, you can take this body, and that has very little to do with my soul, my spirit. The question is, where are we in danger spiritually? Because we are, just like Jacob and his family were. We are too. We face it every day. There are things out there in the world that are intent upon harming us spiritually, distracting us from God, taking our focus off of His wonder, His goodness, His grace, His mercy. It's those things that, that we think satisfy us, but ultimately don't. See, sometimes we, we so hunger and thirst for the things of the world that we really don't even know that we're hungry for God because we're full we're satisfied, we're content. Because, let's face it, we live in America and we really can get all that we want or need. Even in the midst of trials and hardships and frustrations, we're still abundantly blessed in one sense. The good news for Jacob and his family was that God and, and Joseph were well aware of what they needed. And it wasn't just food. And so we're thankful that Jacob and his family had a Joseph in their life. The question is, who's ours? And the question is, how do we, how do we fight the same battles that Joseph fought? So let's read together. We'll talk about that and then we'll look at how that works in our life this morning. Beginning in verse 31 of chapter 46. Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and tell Pharaoh and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household who are in the land of Canaan have come to me. And the men are shepherds, for they have been keepers of livestock. And they have brought their flocks and their herds and all that they have. When Pharaoh calls you and says, What is your occupation? You shall say, Your servants have been keepers of livestock from our youth even until now, both we and our fathers, that you may live in the land of Goshen. For every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians." Then Joseph went in and told Pharaoh and said, My father and my brothers and their flocks and their herds and all that they have have come out of the land of Canaan. And behold, they are in the land of Goshen. He took five men from among his brothers and presented them to Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh said to his brothers, What is your occupation? They said to Pharaoh, Your servants are shepherds, both we and our fathers. They said to Pharaoh, We have come to sojourn in the land, for there is no pasture for your servants' flocks, for the famine is severe in the land of Canaan. Now, therefore, please let your servants live in the land of Goshen. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Your father and your brothers have come to you. The land of Egypt is at your disposal. Settle your father and your brothers in the best of the land. Let them live in the land of Goshen. And if you know any capable men among them, then put them in charge of my livestock. Then Joseph brought his father Jacob and presented him to Pharaoh, and Jacob blessed Pharaoh. Pharaoh said to Jacob, How many years have you lived? So Jacob said to Pharaoh, The years of my sojourning are one hundred and thirty. Few and unpleasant have been the years of my life, nor have they attained the years that my father lived during the days of their sojourning. And Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. So Joseph settled his father and his brothers and gave them possession in the land of Egypt, in the best of the land, in the land of Ramses, as Pharaoh had ordered. Joseph provided his father and his brothers and all his father's household with food, according to their little ones. Let's pray. 
Father, thank you for your blessings and your love and for your word. God, I pray that you would keep us from distraction this morning, that you would allow us to hear clearly, to understand, and then ultimately to apply it to our lives. God, thank you for the spirit that does that work in us. And we ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. So what was the danger? We can back up a little bit and review and see if we can figure that out. In, in chapter 45, uh, Joseph said that God sent him to preserve alive a remnant. Word can mean a community of people. Then in beginning of 46, God told uh, Jacob that he was going to make him a great nation. The promise had given to Abraham and Isaac before and Jacob before. But then he added a word in Egypt. So why Egypt? Why not Canaan? Why couldn't he do what he'd promised to do all this time where they were? Why does he have to pick them up and move them to Egypt? Well, we need to back up a little further. Remember the, the battle between Jacob and Esau? And, and Isaac was very insistent, and so was Abraham as well, that, that the kids marry within the larger family. They were to go get wives from where Abraham came from. And Esau was already mad, and he said, I'm going to get back in my parents. And so he married a local gal. It didn't go over very well. And then we read later on in chapter 38 that Judah did the same thing. And that didn't go very well. We read in chapter 34 of Genesis that, that the people of the land, the Canaanites, wanted to intermarry with the Israelites, with Jacob's sons and daughters. And that didn't go over very well either. So there's this idea that, that if they stayed in the land... There was this constant battle of who are we going to marry? Who are we going to become involved with? Who's going to influence us? Numerous times in scriptures, God talks about, especially to kings, be careful who you marry because they will influence you and they will pull you away from worshiping God. And we know from scripture that the Canaanites were, were not very good people to begin with. And so there's this danger literally lurking all around them and as shepherds in the promised land, which, which meant they would have been nomadic. The family unity would have been broken up as they, this part goes to look for pasture and they get bigger and so they separate. And so the unity of the family would be dissolved and the temptation would be ever present for them to inter intermingle, intermarry. And those people would pull them away from worship of the one true God. That was the danger. It wasn't the fact they were going to starve to death. It was that they would spiritually starve to death. They would become involved with, with a people who didn't have the same worldview, didn't have the same belief and desire to worship the one true God. And God knew that. And so in all this planning and scheming and sin and trouble and this whole story that we've been looking at, God's leading these people to a place for a particular purpose. And so they needed room for that nation to grow. And they needed a place where they would be insulated from the influence of the culture around them. And so... There's all this conversation. So Joseph goes to Pharaoh and says, my family showed up and they're in Goshen. And, and they brought their flocks and their herds with them. 
And then he tells his brothers what to say. And then the brothers say it over and over again for about 10 or 15 verses. These ideas keep repeating. We're in Goshen. Can we stay in Goshen? We've brought flocks and herds. We're shepherds. We're shepherds. We're shepherds. And we go, what's going on? Why, why do we need to keep saying this over and over again? And then at the end of 47, we read, for every shepherd is loathsome to the Egyptians. You see, when, when Pharaoh promised, I'll give you the best of the land... See, Joseph's not an idiot. He says, this could work out really well for us. There's this place in the northwestern part of, of Egypt that's got lots of land and we could actually spread out. We wouldn't need to travel and get separated. And Egyptians don't really like shepherds. They don't want to mess with the livestock, which is why Pharaoh said, if you've got some capable people, can you put them in charge of our livestock because... We don't really want to mess with them. I mean, we like eating well, but we really don't want to mess with those animals. And so there's this place that was prepared for God's people, for them to grow and flourish and have much less chance of being influenced negatively by the culture around them. A place where they could be God's people. Now, that doesn't mean they did it perfectly, but he gave them an incubator, so to speak, for that nation to flourish. Except we've got a problem. Because our situation is different, isn't it? Right? God has not called us into an incubator where we can flourish and just grow our numbers, right? It's not the purpose. In fact, Jesus prayed... Father, don't take them out of the world. And then he commanded, we're to go into the world and make disciples. So if the Israelites needed help, if the Israelites needed a Joseph to come alongside them to help them be the people God called them to be, certainly we need a whole lot more help than that. Because our situation is much different than theirs. We've not been pulled out of the world to kind of grow and develop and become a nation. We've been thrown into the world to influence the world, but not be influenced by it. God has left us purposefully in the world to influence the world and not be influenced by it. And if the Israelites needed help, then we need a whole lot more help than that. So what do we do? How do we avoid the temptation for allowing the world to come in and influence us? Because I promise you, as, we, as, as you think about your life and think about all the, the different aspects of your life, my guess is that all of us in some way, maybe big, maybe just small, that we're more worldly than we are biblical. That the world has subtly and without our knowing it at all, kind of just snuck in and said, this is the way you're supposed to behave. And that's far more cultural than it is biblical. Whether that's the way you deal with money, the way you deal with work, whether that's the way you deal with uh, your marriage or your parenting, whether it's the way you deal with relationships, the way you look at um, possessions, the way you look at priorities, the way you look any little aspect of your life. One of the things that we as the people of God need to do is 
is that, do I behave more culturally or do I behave more biblically? And I think all of us, if we examine our lives closely, we, we realize that there's, at least in maybe some small area, too much of the culture and not enough of the Bible. Too much of the world's view and not enough of God's view. And so are we already sunk? <laughs> are we already in, in too much trouble, in too deep, that, that God could never use us? And here's where we have to remember the truth, not only of what we've looked at over the last 10, 12 weeks, but God can take people who are an absolute mess and who have done absolutely horrible things and who've made horrible decisions. We see that God has taken those things and worked them for His good. And, and that, number one, should be an encouragement, but we've got better encouragement than that. Because you see, we had a Savior who went to the cross for us. And, and for those of us who have had our eyes opened to the wonder and the beauty of, of what He's done, and as we have repented and turned to Him, as we've changed our allegiance from ourselves to God, then the promise that we read in Romans, no matter how much the world has infected us, is true. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We have to hold on to that as individuals and as a body. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The guilt of us not being aware of the danger, for those of us who have turned and, and given ourselves to God, believed in His death and resurrection, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That guilt has been taken away. And we're free. And so the temptation might be, maybe even the temptation should be, well, if I'm not guilty anymore and if I'm free, then what difference does it make whether the world's infected me or not? Right? If it really doesn't matter. See, but it, but it does matter. And we remember more than once when that argument comes up in Romans, Paul says, no, may it never be. That's, you've, you've missed the point. God didn't free you so that, it, so that it doesn't matter anymore how you relate to the world. You died with Christ and you've been raised with Him to walk in newness of life that you might be His image to the world. And so as we're in the world, God has removed the guilt so that we are free to be His people. But you may say, but I still have the world in me. What do I do with that? And how do I avoid it sneaking up on me again and again and again? Okay, I, I buy that, I'm, that I'm, my guilt is gone, but, but the stain of the world is still present. What do I do with that? How do I get rid of that? See, God in His graciousness has indwelt us with His Holy Spirit. And that initial process, God initiated. God started that process. He, he removed the scales from your eyes, allowed you to see His glory and His wonder and His majesty. And then you responded to Him in repentance and belief. And God initiated that process in you. 
But now He asks you to come into partnership with His Holy Spirit as you walk with Him, as you seek to honor Him by your life. And so we have a responsibility. We have a privilege. We have a stewardship given to us to say, hey, there, there is influence in the world. And I do need to fight that. And if I just sit and am fat and happy and say, oh, God loves me and I'm redeemed and my guilt is gone, then we will end up reaping the consequences of that laziness, of that inactivity, in the same way that a lot of Joseph's brothers reap the consequences. Yes, they were physically saved. Yes, God moved them to a place where He could care for them and love them. And yes, He did great things for the nations. But there were individuals, as we will see in a couple of weeks, that their sin had lasting consequences. That there are things that they lost. That there are things that they gave up because of their sin. And so... We as God's people need to think, okay, what is my role? What is my responsibility? What is my response to the good news of the gospel? And so the question is, how do we remove the contamination that's already in us, those things that are more worldly than they are biblical, and how do we keep them from coming back? I think really the only way to do that is that we spend time with our Heavenly Father, that we sit in awe of His beauty. See, what happens is we're attracted to the world and we think it's beautiful, we think it's wonderful, we think it satisfies. But if you really spend time in God's presence, if as God's people individually and collectively we devote ourselves to Him in prayer, in time in His Word, in time with His people, what we find out is, is that He is far more beautiful, that He is far more satisfying, that He is far more filling for us. And what we find out is those things of the world that once attracted us become sort of like cheap imitations. And we go, why did I think that was, number one, good for me? Why was I attracted to that? Why did I allow that to influence my life? And so really the challenge for all of us is, first and foremost, are you spending time with God? Are you spending time in His presence? Do you make sure that you carve out every day time to spend in His Word, learning about His character, who He is? Learning about the ways of the world so that we recognize it? Learning about ourselves so that we know that our weaknesses are? And do you spend time in prayer? Not just asking for things. There's nothing wrong with asking for things. We're, we're called, we're commanded, we're encouraged, we're challenged in the Bible to, to come before God with our requests. But do you spend time in prayer just praising Him? Meditating on His goodness? Listening? Do you carve out time in your day for God? It certainly is the best way to keep ourselves from being contaminated by the world. But I'm not sure it's it's not the only way. Because the world is attractive. 
until it sits alongside of the God of the universe. And if we have nothing to compare it with, we will fall over ourselves trying to satisfy ourselves with the world offers time and time again. Or we'll be subtly deceived that the world has the right answers for the way that we deal with money and time and work and relationships and marriage and parenting and school. And we'll believe those lies. But if we spend time in God's Word and in His presence, knowing that we've been forgiven, knowing that we've been redeemed, and knowing that He desires to use us in people's lives. Then we have the ability to, in one sense, be just like Jacob's family. See, in the midst of the world, we can still be in the best of the land. And the best of the land is no matter where we go, we're walking with God. It's like, it's like being in a lush green pasture it's on a conveyor belt. Wherever I go, it goes with me. There's always nice green grass and a nice creek and sun's always shining. But if I'm sitting in awe of the God of the universe, then I'm in the best of the land. Always. Every day. Day in and day out. And I'm protected. And I'm kept safe. And so the question is, will we do that? Are we waiting for someone like Joseph to come along and kind of protect us? Or are we saying, but God has placed a Joseph in my life, in the Holy Spirit, who wants to protect me now, who wants, to, who wants me to realize that I have the best of the land, where I am every day, day in and day out? Do we believe that? And will we take advantage of that as we walk with him? Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your word and the truth that is in it. But thank you for the example of your faithfulness to your people. God, I pray as we walk out these doors in a little while, that we would be mindful that the only way to keep ourselves unstained from the world is to walk with you. God, help us to fix our eyes on you through the power of your Spirit. Father, we need you desperately. We are so prone to, to chase after the things of this world. We are so prone to hunger and thirst after things beside you. God, open our eyes. Father, I pray as we go through this week that you would show us areas where we are, world, are more worldly than we are biblical. Where we have bought into the wisdom of the world as opposed to your wisdom. God, would you reveal those things to us? And then give us the courage and the strength and the power through your Holy Spirit to, to change. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. Would you stand with us as we sing again, please?